For the last two or three Sundays, we've been looking at the life of David. I've taken a fresh look at uh, his character throughout the Bible. We've mentioned that you can't find a more colorful Bible character than David. You can't find anyone whose life is uh, easier to identify with than David. Here's a man who loved God so much, and that was obvious. That was his legacy. But a man who also struggled and battled his own demons, uh, as well as the enemies of God's people, Israel. We began talking about that time in his life where he had been running from Saul, running for his life for 12 years. He had led a huge army, but they had dwindled to just 600 men. And for 12 years, David ran for his life, living like Osama bin Laden for the last few years of his life, hiding in caves from here to there, afraid that Saul, who was still on the throne but had become yesterday's man, and was jealous of this younger David who would succeed him and become king. Saul was out to kill him. And sometimes when things are bad enough, then something even worse happens. Have you ever had a day like that? David and his 600 loyal men were so exhausted and so tired of running for their lives when this happened. We talked about it. They came back to their home base where they had left their wives and their sons and their daughters and everything that they owned, all their possessions in this city. When they came back to it, they discovered that the enemy army had come and burned the entire city down and had taken hostage all of their wives and all of their children. And it broke their heart. The Bible says David's men were bitter of soul and they cried. Imagine it. They cried until they had no more power to weep. Then they turned against David, their leader, and they conspired to stone him. The Bible said they talked among themselves, let's stone him. And it looked like the end for David. But the lesson we learned there is everything, as bad as that situation was, turned on a dime with one verse that said, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. We talked about how important it is for every one of us to know how to strengthen our own self. Because there are times in our life we will reach the place where David was. And we will realize nobody is here to help me. The pastor's not here. The prophet's not here. My mentor's not here. My best friend is not here. If I don't strengthen my own self, I will die in this weakness. So important. The Bible said David strengthened himself in the Lord. We looked at the four important words. This is how 
we strengthen our own selves. Simplicity, silence, solitude, and surrender. First of all, simplicity. When you just need to strengthen your own self, you get back to the basics. You throw away the clutter. You realize there's only one thing important, and that's my intimacy with the Almighty. Paul said, this one thing I do. I count everything else as garbage compared to this one thing that I may know him. And Jesus told Martha, Martha, only one thing is necessary. And your sister Mary has chosen that one thing. So simplicity, getting back to the basics of what's really important. Then the second step is the discipline of silence. We live in such a noisy world. It's a rare moment in our lives when we have silence. So many voices crying out from the crowd, pulling us this way and that way. And if you listen to many of them, you won't know what to believe. But silence, be still and know that I am God. Shut out every voice but God's to strengthen your own self in the Lord. And then there's solitude. There are times when God uses solitude for us. As important as fellowship is and being connected to the body and uh, having relationships with others, so, so, so very important, of course, but equally important at times are seasons of solitude where you realize I look like I'm all alone. But Jesus promised he would never leave me. And if there's nobody here but him and me, I'm in great company. Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 6, come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest for a while. Solitude. After you spend some time, just you and the Lord, in solitude, you'll be strengthened. And then finally, surrender, just trusting God with everything. No longer a struggle, it's all surrender, trusting God with everything. After David strengthened himself in the Lord, a verse or two later, we talked about this, he inquired of the Lord. You know, there are sometimes you'll need to ask God some questions. You'll need to inquire of God on a matter, and you don't even have the strength to ask until first you've strengthened yourself. It was after David had strengthened himself in the Lord that the Bible says he inquired now of God and asked, shall I go and pursue the enemy that stole our wives and our children and, and burned our city to the ground. Shall I go and overtake them? And God answered and said, yes, pursue the enemy and without fail, recover all. Now today, we're going to look at the most familiar story in the Bible. There is no more popular story in the Old Testament, at least, than this same boy, David slaying Goliath, the giant. The entire chapter of 1 Samuel 17 uh, contains that story in every verse. 
is dripping with uh, inspiration and revelation. I'm talking to you this morning about the championship, faith over fear. Now, I always pull for the underdog. There's something about anybody that has odds against them and a huge mountain in front of them. And yet they still find the faith to stand up to the giant facing them. The dictionary defines championship as a high-level contest to determine a champion. And here, this very familiar story, David, when he was a little boy, the runt of the litter, the smallest in his father's family. Everybody else in the world saw him only as a shepherd boy. Well, you can trust him with a few sheep. He'll feed them all right. That's about all he's good for. He's just a boy. But yet it was when he was just a boy tending sheep that God sent the prophet to David's father's house and said, in Jesse's house, I'll anoint the next king. And David was the most unlikely candidate, but he was the one God had chosen. So he had a king's anointing on his life, even as a small boy. And it wasn't too long after that, that all of the enemies and their armies turned against Israel, and they found themselves on two mountains with a huge valley in between. And on one side of the mountain was the Philistines and all of the evil armies that were against God's people. On the other side of the mountain, there were the Israelites, God's chosen people. And Somehow, it had gotten so distorted. The truth had been missed by so much that the mindset of God's people now, we should be afraid of the enemy. Just look at the size of their army. We're the underdog. And then look at the giants in their army. And all of that was playing out when one of the soldiers in the enemy's army, Goliath, one of the giants would come down into that valley and look at God's people every day. Every day for 40 days. Every morning and every night for 40 days. That devil Goliath, that giant of an enemy, would walk out and taunt God's people. Look at me. Any of you think you can take me out? Send your best man. I'll kill him right here. The roar of that devil. Now, you may be facing giants, and all of us do. So what giant is screaming at you? What giant, what mountain is in your way that as soon as you even consider it or look at it, you think, oh, I'm this close to being defeated? by this enemy. Well, then the story of David is good news for all of God's people. Here's the truth that we've got to live with. God's people have always attracted 
enemies. Always. It's not new. When you sign in for God's army, with the territory comes the fact that you will be assigned an enemy. That's not bad news. God sees the big picture. But God's people have always attracted enemies. Remember, under the days of Moses, he was leading God's people at the time, and God had given a promise, I'm going to give you a land where all the wealth in the world is deposited. I'm going to give it to you. I'm leading you now through the wilderness, but destination is the promised land. And when you get there, it's going to be better than you can imagine. And then there was this good news, bad news. Don't you love it? Well, I've got some good news and some bad news. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I'll always say, well, give me the good news now and the good news later. Okay, the good news is we are at the border of the promise. Everything for the last 40 years God has been doing in us has led us to this place. Here, here we are at the border. I can, I can put my toe inside the promised land. The good news is I can see in there. We're ready to go. The good news is we can drink fresh water out of wells that are already dug we won't have to dig them. The good news is we can live in gorgeous, beautiful homes that are already built. We won't have to break a sweat and build them. The good news is just look at the size of those grapes. The good news is we have our foot in the promised land. The bad news, there are giants. Over there, you got to conquer. God's people have always attracted enemies, and enemies are necessary to teach us how to win a championship. Anybody ever had to deal with a bully on the playground? Anybody ever been the underdog in that dynamic as a bully on the... I uh, hate to go to recess because he's going to steal my lunch money again. And to be a father of a son or a daughter who's suffering at the hand of a bully on the playground. Don't you know the father wants to say... <laughs> You're my child. I'm going to spare you from that bully. I'm going to go and kill him my own self. Anybody seen that Andy Griffith show? But the wisdom of a father sees beyond the day-to-day taunting by the bully on the playground. A wise father like Andy Griffith would say to a son like Opie, son, if he hits you, it won't hurt that bad. Go back out there. 
Andy restrained himself and let Opie learn how to become a champion. Now, it cost him a black eye, but, buddy, he was so happy over it. He wore it like a badge of honor. Enemies are necessary to teach us how to war. Have you ever wondered why God left giants in the land? Why he left enemies to his own people in the land? If I were God, I would smite all my children's enemies. But God left them. The word is very clear. Judges chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. Listen to this. God did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. God left an enemy to his own people to teach warfare to the generations. That's powerful. It takes an enemy to give us an opportunity to prove our championship. Now, David was the underdog facing an insurmountable challenge. Let me say this about David also. Unlike many Old Testament characters that we love, and we love them all, David's life was not marked repeatedly by one supernatural miracle after the other. You know, Moses had his splitting of the Red Sea. And Moses, and under his leadership, God blessed the people of Israel with manna from heaven, fed them a free buffet every day for 40 years. That was under Moses' supernatural miracles. Elijah had his miracles like calling fire down from heaven. Elisha, the great prophet, had his share of miracles, including raising a dead boy back to life. But when it comes to David, his life was not characteristically marked by one miracle after another. This is probably the most miraculous uh, event in David's life is, is him killing Goliath. But David's life was easy for us to identify with, even though not marked by many supernatural miracles. What we do see in David's life is over and over again, he faces one challenge after another, and he deals with it. One challenge. Some came at his own expense. Some suffering at his own hand. But he would overpower the insurmountable odds with God's help. And that was the lifetime. Now, we know what the... He, he knew how to do life. He was faced with life just like we are. It's one thing after another. It's always something. And so it was with David. Reminds me of a song Elvis Presley recorded. And some of the lyrics go like this. It was a prayer as he sang it. It's been one hill after another. 
I've climbed them all one by one. But this time, Lord, you gave me a mountain. Have you ever been there facing a mountain or an enemy in front of you and it caused you to tremble in your boots because you were not a champion yet? Now, we'll look quickly at some things in this very familiar story, David and Goliath. First of all is the standoff. In any battle, there is a standoff. You've got an enemy on one side staring down the neck of an opponent. And the standoff here lasted 40 days. And every morning and every evening for 40 days, this evil giant walked out into that valley and looked up with intimidation to every one of God's soldiers. Screamed, had them shaken in their boots. He intimidated them, he terrorized them, and he demoralized them. Anybody understand that's what the enemy does? He'll terrorize you and demoralize you. He will have you afraid of him if you leave him unchecked. Here's what Goliath did in the valley, screaming out against God's people. First Samuel 17 and verse 11, it said, when Saul, he was Israel's king still, and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. God's people, God's army, greatly afraid of the enemy, dismayed. Verse 24 of 1 Samuel 17 said, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. That was the standoff. Forty days, twice a day, this going on. The standoff. Then in every battle there is a current champ. And that was Goliath. Up until this point, he had been undefeated and he had nothing to prove in terms of conquest. He was already the champ. And he was over nine feet tall. And he was covered with armor on the battlefield, bronze armor. His coat of bronze weighed 125 pounds. He had a spear in his hand and just the tip, just the point on that huge spear weighed 15 pounds. And if all that armor and his size alone were not enough, he had an armor bearer that went in front of him carrying a shield to protect this evil giant. Oh, he was dressed to kill he thought. And he used propaganda. He said, I defy the armies of Israel. Now, that threat has been around as long as God's people have existed, and it's still being screened today. We don't have much going for us as a nation anymore, sadly. The favor of God has been obvious on us as a nation. 
But we will lose it all the day we as a nation defy Israel. It's always been part of the enemy's propaganda. Propaganda, screaming lies on the battlefield that are meant to instill fear instead of faith. Saddam Hussein did it during the Gulf War. When we threatened to go to war with him, he said, the sand in the desert will run red with your blood. Boy. Then he said, if the United States brings war to Iraq, it will be the mother of all wars. Don't you feel like trembling when you hear a lie like that? Thank God for the truth that keeps us steady on our feet instead of trembling in our boots. Even Muhammad Ali And everybody was entertained by him. He was going up against one opponent. And the propaganda, I mean the lie machine. Part of what the enemy does is scream lies. And he makes them seem believable if the truth is not strong in our lives. Muhammad Ali Ali said to his opponent, you know, he would dance. I can't dance quite like he does. No, I can dance when ain't nobody looking. I'm a pretty good dancer when I dance by myself. But Muhammad Ali said, I'm going to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Uh, that sounds funny, doesn't it? Entertaining. But if you were his opponent, you'd be trembling in your boot to hear a champion like Muhammad Ali So I'm going to sting you like a bee. I'd be ready to resign almost right there. Crawl out of the ring. So there's the standoff. Then there's the current champ who's undefeated up to this point. Enter the challenger. This is David, the shepherd boy. And in this one chapter, 1 Samuel 17, he gives us so many iconic phrases that we use in prayer and we use in warfare all the time. Coming from a little boy who was the underdog facing a giant. Phrases like he said to his brothers, is there not a cause? I'm willing to fight him. They said, oh, you're just a boy. And David could have given a longer explanation like age is not the issue here. It's not even about us. It's between evil and the name of our God. Is there not reason for somebody to rise up and fight him? Is there not a cause? And then David said, the Lord will deliver me from the hands of this giant. Now, things begin to turn on our words. Things be, as long as you're hearing the scream from the enemy's camp that, come on out here, I'll stomp you to death right now. Send your best man, I'll kill him face to face right now. Start hearing that and nothing but that. Propaganda, lies of the enemy. And fear will grow if you leave it unchecked. 
But as soon as our words line up with God's word, like David's did, when he said, the Lord will deliver me today from the hands of this enemy. Then, when he was approaching Goliath in the, in the valley, and here was Goliath nine feet tall, covered with armor, and an armor bearer with a shield going in front of, of him, and the only thing exposed on his entire body was a little space right here with his eyes and his forehead, everything else protected for battle. David is so famous for saying to him, listen to these words, you come against me with a spear and a sword and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of our Lord. And he said, this battle is the Lord's. And then in 1 Samuel 17 and 46, David said, listen to the power of these words that build faith. When you hear an underdog say things like this, you are about to witness the making of a champion. He said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beast of the earth that all the earth, listen, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That all the earth will know. There is a God in Israel. Now, can I share something with you now? I've waited till this moment to share. I've never seen it like this before. It's a wonderful revelation for me. I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. Never seen it before. For all the years, Israel had an enemy. And for all of these 40 days, when Goliath was terrorizing God's people every morning and every night, for all of these 40 days that Israel's army was trembling in their boots because this devil was threatening them. Here's what I want to say I've never seen before. The actual battle probably lasted less than a minute. That thing you're afraid of, that thing that's threatening you, that thing that's screaming, that thing that's got you shaking in your boots, deal with it and be a champion in less than a minute when you deal with it. Less than a minute. Anybody ever heard of Jerry Clower? I met Jerry Clower one time. I was working at a radio station, and he was in town and came by to be interviewed, and he walked in the door, and he said, Oh, I want to be interviewed. <laughs> On air, he did that. He was a good Christian man from Liberty, Mississippi. A fertilizer salesman turned to comedian. 
But he was a good Christian man. Remember the Liberty Baptist Church in Liberty, Mississippi. God loved those Baptists. And he tells a story. A man climbing a tree and runs into a bear up there. His friends on the ground, they were hunting. They had guns down there. And he's up there fighting a bear in the top of the tree. Remember that story? And Jerry, in pain, struggling with that bear up in the tree, looks down to his friends on the ground with the guns and say, shoot up here. And they said, we are afraid to shoot. We don't know if we'll hit the bear or we might hit you. And Jerry said, well, shoot anyway, because one of us needs some relief. You've heard it. That's about the way. That's as bad as it gets right there. You know, for, for all of the fear that the enemy throws your way with his screaming and taunting and terrorizing, for all of that, the actual battle's not that bad. It's over in less than a minute. and You're a champion because you took on the giant. Less than a minute. One thing we'll learn from this is, as David did, don't measure your giant against yourself. Measure your giant against God. Measure your giant against your God, not yourself. The battle was really not between David and Goliath. The battle was between Goliath and God. This same David, this same great Bible character who was the greatest king Israel ever had, one of the greatest leaders on the battlefield. He was a warrior. He was a man's man. He was also uh, human, and he struggled with emotions and even got himself in trouble with Bathsheba and then murder to cover it up. But he became more famous for repenting than he was famous for sinning. When he cried out, oh God, please don't let your spirit leave me. Renew in me a right spirit, oh Lord. And then God said, there's a man after my own heart. I mean, we can relate to David. All of us know what it's like to deal with challenges and mountains and giants standing in our way. And never look at the giant facing you and measure your giant against your own self. It's not that battle at all. Measure your giant against God. The battle is really between God and the giant that's facing you. Here's the beauty of covenant. When we are in covenant with God, our enemies become God's enemies. And never is that stronger than in the tithe. And I don't talk about tithe a lot. Uh, I do believe in it, and I do it, and I enjoy every minute of it because I believe what God said. God said, if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, he said, I will rebuke the devourer so you won't have to. You know, I do have to deal with the devil every now and then. But for the most part, I just let the devil know. Oh, devil, I'm not going to bother with you. My covenant God is your enemy. And he's told me he's going to rebuke you, and you ain't going to devour nothing. Uh, and so that's covenant. And so when we're in covenant with God, the enemies we have to fight, God will fight that battle. David said, 
the battle is the Lord's. And it wasn't about armor. It wasn't about all of the traditional military equipment that was available even in his day. David also was the great psalmist. He could play a harp and write poetry that would inspire even a deranged, mentally insane, used up king that hated him. And David was famous for saying, some may trust in horses. Some may trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. Because the battle is not between the giant and you. The battle is really between your giant and your God. And then we learn to confront the giant. We learn this from David. Don't run away from it. In verse 48, it said, David hurried and ran toward the giant. Now, from that moment, it only took a minute. Forty days of worrying, 40 days of suffering, 40 days of listening to the devil's lie and being afraid at every word the devil. And all of that was over in less than a minute when he hurried and ran toward the giant. There comes a moment when there's a tip, a tipping point. There's a breakthrough uh, in your warring. And we believe in spiritual warfare. And in the middle of all that, there comes a point to where when you've been going this way, running from an enemy, afraid he's going to kill you, halfway believing the lies he's telling, that you stop in your track and you're, hey, wait a minute. Whoa, wait a minute. What the heck? I'm being good today. I'm being real good. What am I doing running from him? You lock out. David locked eyes with Goliath and hurried and ran. I come to you in the name of our God. Right there. And the Bible says the stone sunk into his forehead. Now, it didn't kill him, but it knocked him on his back. Long enough. For David to walk up, that little boy, there's that huge giant sprawled out there with that little smooth stone sunk in his head right there. Knocked, knocked the breath out of him for a minute, long enough for David to come up, and David didn't even have a sword. And David reached down to Goliath's sheath and took Goliath's own Sword probably took both hands of that boy. <laughs> that little boy. There's that huge giant. I mean, you know, his feet were in Lee County, and his head was <laughs> a huge giant. There. His sword probably was so heavy it was all David could do to get it out the sheath and lift it up. But he went over there and cut that devil's head off. And he became a champion. His faith conquered his fear. And that's how we do it. And then in closing, he gave God glory. And actually, and this is so important for us, he gave God glory before he killed the giant. 
he went ahead and declared it prophetically. Before, he, he, when he said, the whole world's going to know there's a God in Israel when I get through cutting your head off this very day. God, that <laughs> uh, makes me want to root for the underdog. Anybody playing ball uh, this week that's a real underdog? I mean, let's go to bat for the underdog because an enemy is necessary to ever prove that we can be a champion. And there's something about your own life and mine, your own testimony right now in the making, something about the giant you're facing, the mountain ahead of you that perhaps you've been afraid of, but there's something about the victory waiting for you. When this enemy is defeated in less than one minute of your life. There's something about it that has built into it the glory going to God. That's why it's really his battle and not just yours and mine. There's something about it that's pre-designed for God to get the glory. David said it. He started giving God glory before he became the new champion. He said, I'm going to cut your head off today, and then everybody in the world's going to know for sure there is a God in Israel. And that's giving God the glory. The whole earth will know there's a God in Israel. Would you stand with me, please? Everybody stand. Bow your heads, please, as the pray, uh, prayer team come, the men and women who are making themselves available in just a moment to pray for you. Every head bowed. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. It is life. It gives hope to the hopeless. Thank you for the truth of your word that is an in-season word right now. Lord, for many in this room, there is a crisis, there is a mountain, there is an enemy, there is a giant on the horizon, we can see them even now. For others, this word can wait for another season when surely a giant will come. Lord, thank you for the faith that comes to us as we hear your word. Thank you that somebody who came in afraid will leave with strong faith. Thank you that there's somebody in this room today who's been terrorized and intimidated and demoralized by the lies of the enemy to such a degree that they were about to faint, but now it's like a second wind. It's like revival in their soul and spirit. Somebody's going to deal with an enemy and become a champion in less than one minute. For all of the weeks and months and years that the enemies lied, all of that's over in less than one minute on the battlefield. It takes less than a minute for an underdog to become a champion. And so we release that kind of power of your spirit to work now. Thank you for showing up where two or more agree together in prayer concerning any issue that affects our life, your promise is that you would answer that prayer. So we sanctify 
the altar now. We consecrate the men and women whose faith is stirring to pray for the needs and the lives of your people. Thank you that testimonies will come from this time of altar ministry. Testimonies, men and women being able to look back saying that it was Sunday morning, October the 30th, 2016, when after being an underdog for so long, so weak and so worn out, the word of the Lord came to me and I became a champion in less than one minute. Lord, may we remember the date of today as a day of great breakthrough and championship for your people. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. We're dismissing you now. You're free to go. But if you have any need for prayer.